Hello, and welcome to the newest episode of Cascadia Corner, a Pacific Northwest sports podcast. This is Dewey, your host for today's episode. Joining me today are my good friends, Zach. Hello. And Matt. Go balls. And unfortunately, James will be joining us for another episode here. Before we start today's episode, we just want to thank everyone who listened to our first episode. If you enjoy our shows, please leave us a stellar review on whatever streaming service you are using. If you don't enjoy our discussions, then please keep your opinions to yourself and give us a good review anyway. We would also want to apologize and retract a comment we made in the previous episode. We will not be limiting ourselves to discussing the four major universities in the Pacific Northwest. We will also occasionally talk about the major sports teams like the Mariners. Julio. uh, The Blazers, the Kraken, and probably the Seahawks. But uh, Matt's the only one that actually likes them. So probably not. All right. Kicking off the second episode, uh, we have to talk about National Signing Day. National Signing Day came to a wrap on February 1st with Oregon leading the Pacific Northwest schools and the Pac-12 Conference as a whole, followed by UW, the Bees, and then the Cougars. This result felt pretty much expected by all of us. Uh, but Zach, did you feel like there were any surprises to any of the team rankings, or do you have anything to add? Uh, I'm a little surprised about how poorly Washington State did, if I'm being honest. I mean, because they were dead last in the Pac-12 behind teams like Stanford and, and Cal. I don't know how you get out-recruited by Stanford and Cal. Um, Stanford has uh, not a good coaching staff, and they're brand new, and Cal has Wilcox. If you're getting out-recruited by Wilcox, then it's not really a good thing, but... I mean, everything else seems pretty normal to every other signing day with Oregon being at the top and Utah being high up there and Oregon State and Washington State far behind. Yeah, Matt, do you have anything to add? Um, I mean, not really. Like, did we really expect anything but for Oregon to be at the top of it? I feel like with the NIL era, like, they've just thrived in recruiting. And obviously, like, you could say what you want about the on-field results, but they know how to do it. Like, they have recruiting down. Like, that's no question. And I think UW is on the way up, which is nice to see. I'll probably touch on it in a bit here. But with Wazoo and Oregon State, like, they're not even the premier FBS institutes in their own state. Like, it's kind of hard to have that pull from the other schools. I don't think it's very surprising. James, this was your Super Bowl win. <laughs> uh, We're going to win the Oregon. Oregon. One thing about Oregon. Anything. Is they're going to win the offseason, Natty, every year. Every year they're going to win the offseason, Natty. Undefeated in the offseason. Uh, but yeah, another solid recruiting class. The question is still just going to remain if they can uh, translate it into results on the field. Uh, but yeah, overall, another great recruiting class. We missed out on a couple of guys late, but uh, I think we were able to patch the holes for sure. Are there any players this year that are going to do the slippy turn? that you just feel like <laughs> are just going to blow it in the biggest moments against the rival. Uh, we'll have to see. <laughs> we'll have to see. Do you guys, uh, are, do you think Oregon State kind of dropped the ball with this class considering how they've been on the rise? Uh, eh, I love their quarterbacks that they got in the class, including DJU. Um, but 
Childs balled out in his uh, in the All American game. Uh, I really like him. I think he was a really good like player that Oregon State was able to get. And then they got that defensive lineman. I can't remember where he's out of, um, but he's uh, another he's top three hundred recruit. Um, I know they beat out a couple like random schools in order to get him. I believe a few of the SEC schools they're able to get him. Um, I feel like Oregon State did enough in this class. Um, and obviously they didn't take a lot of players. I think they were like, let's check on two, four, seven or 24, seven. Sorry. Yeah. They only took 19, um, which I guess is probably about average. Um, but I feel like they just did what was expected of them. Uh, Matt, did you feel like that UW did anything or added enough guys in order to keep the team competitive in the next few years? I think so. I think they utilized the portal. I think that's something that Tabor and Co. have done a really good job is utilizing the portal. Obviously, with Michael Penix last year, they're bringing in this year Dylan Johnson, who's a four-star transfer. Um, Jabbar Muhammad from Oklahoma State, who plays corner. He's a four-star transfer. They got a lot of good guys. Jeremy Bernard, who was originally a Husky and then went to Michigan State for a year and then decided, yeah, I want to go play for the fun offense. So... He's back um, in the, from the portal, and I feel like they utilize that to their advantage. And I think even with the guys that they signed just out of high school, like Caleb Presley's a huge get, flipping him from Oregon. Obviously, you haven't seen that from Washington in a bit, flipping guys from Oregon, so that's kind of a big deal. Tayshawn Lyons, who was iffy for a bit, signed on National Signing Day. Curly Reed, obviously, highlights that class, too. I think some underrated guys like Keith Reynolds. Um, and uh, Tybo Rogers are guys to keep your eyes on. But overall, I think it's a step in the right direction for recruiting. I'm excited to see how they build off the 2023 class in the next cycle. I think DeBoer has made it obvious that they are focused on 2024 pretty heavily. So I like the direction it's going for sure. Do we need to talk about the throne? <laughs> Do you want to talk about the throne? I think, I think we, we need should to talk about the throne. I think the we should fifteen hundred dollar throne. Okay, so for those who don't know, uh, UW kicked off its like twenty twenty four recruiting class a few weeks ago, and they did this like big like royalty type throne and like a bunch of like husky throwback like gear and just memorabilia in the back of it for a backdrop, and it was really really cool to see UW finally like get its head in the game and like actually do something like with clout uh before like we all made the joke that UW just uses like a piece of white butcher paper in a janitor's closet somewhere to take all their recruiting photos um but it was cool to see them step up uh somehow that picture just turned into a meme on Oregon Twitter and then like a bunch of duck fans found the chair online <laughs> and apparently it's only $1,300. Um, yeah. So really fun stuff on Twitter going on the last few weeks with that. Um, any more to add about the throne? Yeah. The no. throne made me feel like a boomer cause I didn't <laughs> like it. And I was like, Oh my God, do I like not like having fun now? So I had to really reevaluate myself and uh what i think is fun and now i'm back on the the uh back on the trail that it's fun it is a fun thing to do as long as the players like it i feel like it doesn't yeah it doesn't yeah. matter i had to I had to recheck myself um okay anything else to add as far as the chair 
or should we move on from it and never mention it ever again? You've given the chair too much time. <laughs> too much time. Uh, speaking of recruits, James, did you feel like that Oregon filled any necessary gaps? Uh, yeah. I mean, getting... Well, with Doorless coming back and then getting Mateo on that D-line, along with... Uh, let me look for his name real quick. Uh, Johnson in the secondary, the transfer from Ole Miss, I think... I think the defense is going to be improved. I think in Lanning's second year, it's going to be good. Uh, getting Dickey and the other receiver, I lost him. Doesn't even know his own players. I don't. I'm an embarrassment. Uh, but yeah, I think this is a, another step in the right direction. But like I said before, for Oregon, it's going to be all about translating that to wins on the football field. Like that's kind of like we've seen classes like this from Oregon before. Um, and the big deal is just going to be able to like be able to showcase and develop that talent. Um, I just wanted to go through and ask you guys players that you guys are like very excited for or terrified of that like any of the other schools signed. Um, I can start. So I am extremely excited about Jabbar Muhammad, um, the Oklahoma State transfer. He was, I believe, a Big Twelve uh, freshman defensive player. Um, like all conference type deal. Uh, I think he's going to make an immediate impact for UW and probably their worst position group. Um, also, like Matt said, super excited about Jeremy Bernard coming back. Um, I feel like the wide receiver room was already like amazing and it just makes it that much better when you have a bench piece like that um, who could also just come in at any point and make a massive impact. Um, and then Matt, he's from your neck of the woods, Zach Durfee, the Sioux Falls transfer who was like widely regarded as like the next big pass rusher coming out of like the NAIA level. Um, people are loving what they're seeing out of him. Um, I'm absolutely terrified of Dickey at Oregon now. Absolutely terrified of him. Um, he's someone that I really wanted at UW. I uh, really wish that we could have gotten him, but he unfortunately went down south to Oregon. Um, I think he's going to be a problem. I think him and Troy Franklin are probably going to be two of the best receivers in the conferences cup upcoming year. Um, and I think it's just going to give everyone a headache. Uh, Zach, what about you? Um, there's a couple guys for Oregon State, but mainly for the, dra the, the recruiting class, I'm excited about Kelsey Howard. He's the defensive lineman they got out of uh, Las Vegas. And defensive line is a position group that Oregon State's kind of just failed at getting guys. So it'll be good to have just a solid, actually really good defensive lineman in there to maybe get a pass rush. And that's like the only thing they were really lacking this last year on defense. And guys I'm scared of? Oh man, I don't even know. No one really scares. I'm scared of like people that are already there. Like I'm terrified of Penix. I'm mm. pretty scared of Bo Nix's non not being injured. Bo picks. Bo picks. <laughs> Imagine a healthy Bo picks. So yeah, I'm not really scared of anybody. What about you, Matt? Um I feel like Dewey nailed it with Dickey. Like, I am absolutely terrified of that guy in thinking of, like, last year's UW secondary with Dickey in that wide receiver room. Oh, God. Like, it's terrifying to think about. We probably so, only win by one point last year if Dickey's on the team. 
something like that. I also like that you brought up Durfee, which he's D2. Sioux Falls is D2 now, so get it right, please. Thank you. Respect, please. Yeah, respect, please. Respect real ball. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited to see him because at Sioux Falls, obviously, like that is my neck of the woods. Um, for those that don't know, I go to college out in South Dakota and heard a lot about him during the past season just out of Sioux Falls. People locally were talking about him, so I'm excited to see what he can do at the FBS level. Um, and I think two Childs scares the absolute piss out of me. I'm not going to lie. I feel like he flew under the radar for Oregon State and for them to hang on to him was big. He looked really good in all of the showcase stuff that he did. Um, and I think being able to learn under DJU for a year and have him develop and get the, the ropes of the offense down before throwing him to the Wolves, like he's going to be so much better off when he does take the reins. And I think that is scary for the Pac-12 North as a whole, to be honest. Agreed. Agreed. Um, he was someone that I really wanted UW to get, especially since we didn't get a quarterback this past class. Um, yeah. I felt like a late flip of Childs would have made sense for us, but it was pretty cool to see him stay committed to Smitty in Oregon State. Um, really even big. after the whole DJU coming over thing. the Getting Childs and DJ was huge because i mean we've been the only criticism we've had of schmitty is that he can't get he hasn't gotten a quarterback yeah. at all like he's never gotten a quarterback so getting two really good quarterbacks is obviously huge um james what about you are there any players that you're excited about or terrified uh, of yeah i got a couple i got two actually uh the first one is rob Roderick Pleasant, sorry. Uh, he kind of flew under the radar. He signed on the late, or I guess the normal uh, national signing day. Uh, and he kind of flew under the radar because of all the Harbor stuff. People were waiting to see where Harbor was going to end up. Uh, but he was one of the fastest kids in California this year. So I think he's going to be super elite on the back end. Uh, and then my other one is going to be Jordan Birch, who is a transfer from South Carolina, former five-star. He was... Um, uh, he was Oregon was in his top three originally. It ends up not working out at South Carolina, and then he uh, comes back to Oregon, which is kind of interesting. You know, in this new era of uh, the transfer portal, you know, ending up in a guy's you know top three isn't the end of the world because if he ends up transferring, you've got a pretty good shot of getting him. And then yeah. for the guy I'm scared of, I know it's out of our region. Dante Moore is terrifying to me. <laughs> Dante Morris, I suppose. Dante, if you know, he was former Oregon quarterback. You know, he uh, he he's committed. Everybody thinks he is. He takes his official visit to UCLA. Kind of the thought process is he's going to be a duck, but you get all these official visits, you might as well use them. Uh, and then he flips, and I think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to be able to mirror a lot of what um, DTR did at UCLA. So yeah. He is definitely very scary for me. Don't they have like four or five blue chip quarterbacks on that roster now? Like, (laughs) like if Dante Moore like finishes fall camp next year as like quarterback three, I wouldn't even be surprised considering they took in like Colin Schley. Uh, They still have Garbers there. They still have Justin Martin, who's been in the program for a few years. Um, We're probably going to see Garbers and Martin transfer out um, either or, but yeah, uh, UCLA quarterback room is probably the deepest in the conference, um, which is weird considering Chip Kelly doesn't know how to recruit, according to most people. 
All right. Anyone have anything to add for National Signing Day? Yeah, I want to quickly touch on Wazoo. They obviously lost. <laughs> they lost their receivers and Donovan Ali, who is a baller, and then Stribling, who was also pretty good. Um, the only guy that they brought in that's like somewhat decent is Devin Richardson out of Texas, and I think he'll be pretty good to step in there to play middle linebacker for them. But other than that, I mean, their recruiting class was pretty, pretty bad. Um, and they had a lot of guys transfer out. Yeah, um, I'm looking at their class right now, and it's like exactly what you would expect for trying to recruit to Pullman, Washington, especially when they haven't been that great the last few years. Um. Yeah, I just don't, like, there's no really big winners in this class. Like, maybe Joshua Kelly, the former Fresno State wide receiver, um, or maybe Kyle Williams, the dude out of UNLV, but, like, they... I like Kyle Williams. I think he's good. It's a good signing for them. Yeah, probably the best you're going to get in this class, um, but I just don't think they're going to be as competitive next year. All right. Anyone else want to talk about the Cougs? It's just gonna be Cam Ward magic. Like yeah, that's, it's, it's just what it's, it's gonna, gonna come down to. Unfortunately, uh, this offense is gonna live and die by Cam Ward, or this whole team is next year, which is a shame because I think he's a good enough player. Where even if you surrounded him with a little bit of talent, I think he's definitely a floor raiser like that. But yeah, I think it's gonna be a long season out on the Palouse this year. Okay, um, moving on. We have to talk about the coaches now. Uh, West Coast College Football put out an article a few weeks ago that ranked the Pac-12 coaches heading into the 2023 season. Um, leading the Cascadia corner was my ball coach, Kalen DeBoer, followed by my other ball coach, Jonathan Smith. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know, I am an Oregon State online student. Uh, so I am allowed to claim both universities as my universities. Um and then in third place is Oregon coach Dan Lanning, who was sixth total on the list. Um, and then in last place was Jake Dicker at 10. James, do you feel like they got these rankings right? Caitlin DeBoer's a little high, don't we think? Um, I think he's a little low. Caitlin DeBoer had everything go right for him this season. Uh, he had an easy out of conference. He didn't have to play Utah. He didn't have to play USC. Uh, I think the future for Washington is very exciting, but they dodged a lot of their um, a lot of the toughest opponents in the Pac-12 this year. And then you also have a couple bad losses at UCLA and at ASU. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a little high. I, I think the jury is still out. I definitely don't think um, we can like write him off as one of the top coaches in the Pac-12 yet, to be honest. I think Jonathan Smith should be ahead of him, if I'm being 100% honest. Matt, do you want to argue that? Uh, or no, you know I'm right. So I, here's, here's where I sit. I think, I think James is right in the sense that the jury's still out. I think those losses at ASU and UCLA were not good. But also, he did show up for the big games they played in. He you know, coached, coached well against Oregon. He coached well against Texas, which bowl game 
see yeah. what you want about it, but he still coached well. Um, I, that was a Texas oh. home game. Like, let's be honest. That was a like 80% of their fans were probably Texas fans in that stadium. Yeah. Like, he, I think he went out of Texas. Uh, I was just going to say, I think Kalen DeBoer gets more credit for flipping around that UW team when that 2021 team was just extremely dysfunctional. Like, that was still a very talented team. You're saying that Jimmy Lake was just so awful. But yeah. he's making Kellen DeBoer look really good. Did you watch a John Don led game? Kellen DeBoer was also the one that brought in uh, Dylan Morris's replacement, so I will give him full credit for that because I think that alone is one of the. This season will definitely be uh, a prove. I mean, for all of these coaches, obviously, but this this yeah. year will really, I think, prove if Kellen DeBoer has got it or not. I, I agree. And I also, I agree with you in that Jonathan Smith should be one spot ahead of him to be mm. completely honest, because I think Jonathan Smith getting Oregon state to 10 wins is more impressive than Kayla DeBoer getting Washington to 11. Like that's just yeah, the way 100%. I see it. I think I, like they are like probably like one, a one B type situation. How but. bad that Oregon state team was when he took over. They were one. They were like like bordering levels of Kansas bad, and now Should've he's been zero and twelve. Should have yeah. been zero and twelve. Exactly, and now <laughs> I mean, like people are saying, if they don't win ten games this year, it's going to be a disappointment. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think Jonathan Smith should definitely be ahead. And then for Dan Lanning, uh, first year as a head coach at the FBS level, I think you know you're really happy with some of the things you saw earlier in the Pac-12 season. Uh, but then some of the things you saw later in the season, especially versus the the Washington and the Oregon State game, are a little disappointing. And you'd like to see those things get fixed this year. So I think six is probably a good spot for him right now. Why does Dan Laney get the pass, but not DeBoer? This is DeBoer's first time coaching at a Power 5 level. But okay, he, he, gets, he has he head gets... coaching experience before, though. This is yeah, Dan okay, Laney's Jones. first head coaching job. Okay. Period. Okay, who cares? Dan Landon took over a like massively like or a very very good roster down at Oregon, whereas Kalen and he won ten games. He won ten games. Yeah, after they won ten games in twenty twenty one, they didn't play Georgia in twenty twenty one. Oh, they just played Utah anyway. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't know why like the Kalen DeBoer hate. Is so strong. I'm not times. hating Kalen DeVore. No one is hating Kalen DeVore. We're just saying that maybe we need to like see a little bit more from him before we say he's the top two coach in the Pac-12. Well, they have him as three, so research, <laughs> please, at some point. Um, I feel like the third spot is very good for him. Uh, going from four and eight to eleven win season is very good, especially when you beat the teams you're su- okay. Most of the teams you're supposed to beat. Um, UCLA was pretty good this year. Like they can have that win, but ASU was a little inexcusable. Um, that place also cursed for UW though. Not yeah, that that like, matters, but it's just bad. It's just yeah. a cursed place yeah. for UW. Yeah. We always go down and lose in Tempe. Um, but DeBoer killed it this year. Just like straight up coaching. Just absolutely killed it. His scheme was a lot better. He had one of the like top offenses in the nation. Like this dude turned around the team very, very, very quickly. And I feel like he deserves the respect of a top three coach in conference. If anything, it should be like Lincoln Riley getting bumped down from the number two spot. Lincoln Riley's won a playoff game. All right, man. 
I'm just saying. <laughs> also, I would really like to point out. I'd really like to point out that UCLA is one spot ahead of Dan Lanning, um, Chip Kelly ahead of <laughs> Dan Lanning, and I think that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, that's UCLA funny. fans have been like begging and crying for Chip Kelly to get fired for the last. Extend years. Chip Kelly, give him a five-year deal. Give him whatever he wants. I would love for Chip Kelly to get extended five years. Okay, so, question for you guys: Do you feel like these head coaches are like great? and deserve the respect or do you feel like these coaching staffs that they have built around them have been doing a lot of the work like behind the scenes in order to make these teams competitive matt we'll start with you yeah um i think they deserve the credit they're getting and i think jake dickert like at nine like i don't think that's a bad ninth spot i feel like there are a lot of good coaches in the pac-12 and he's doing the best he can with what he has um I don't know. I do think I do think DeBoer and Smith at three and four, they should both be higher. But I don't know. I think they deserve all the credit they're getting. Mm-hmm. Like that it's just plain and simple. What about what about you, Zach? What do you see it as? Uh I think a head coach should for the most part just be like a manager of the team, like a general manager. And let their assistant coaches do a lot of the coaching. That's kind of my philosophy. And I think that I think that DeBoer and Jonathan Smith do a really good job of that. Where they delegate and they spread their work out pretty well. I think that's why that they're ranked so high. And uh, I think that Dickert does an okay job with that. I don't know about Lanning yet. He's just so new to coaching. Um, like just coaching in general. I still think he needs to figure it out a little bit. But uh, I think that Jonathan Smith should be higher than Kellen DeBoer. And I think that Dan Laney should be way lower. Just based off of the talent composites. I mean, because Oregon State's talent composite is 10th in the Pac-12. And they finished, what, like, arguably 3rd or 4th? You said 10th in the Pac-12. Where where would you put Dan Laney on the list, then? Oh, I'd put him, like, 9. I mean... Oregon's the has the highest talent composite in the Pac-12. Uh, he should be doing more with it. James, Just you look a little simple. hurt. Yeah, I, so who <laughs> who are you putting ahead of Dan Lanning if you put him at nine? Any Dillingham. <laughs> <laughs> look, Oregon can't be the highest, have like the best recruiting classes in the Pac-12 consistently, and then not. They can, because they do. But then they just don't do anything with it. Like, congrats we've on the holiday. We've run a Rose Bowl this decade. Who else in the Pac-12 has done that? Yeah, but who did, uh, we're talking about this year. It wasn't this decade. It was, it was in decade. 2020. Yeah, okay, man. Sorry it's been 30 <laughs> years for you, Dewey. <laughs> but, like, I, I don't know. I, I expect more from Oregon with all the talent they have. They just underperform, and it's got to be frustrating for Oregon fans, and... Oh, 100%. Like as, an, as an Oregon State fan, I know that we'll never have a squad that's rated that high for the talent composite. And it makes me frustrated that like Oregon just wastes the talent because Oregon State does so much with so little. Do you agree with that statement, James, that they I waste don't. talent down in Eugene? I mean, you like, yeah, Oregon should. 
Oregon should be doing better than they are, 100%. Is but that I just a symptom of, like, these, like, massive classes and, like, getting just a massive amount of blue chips? Do you think that, like, a certain amount of them are just always expected to just not pan out? Or do you feel like there is an actual problem down at Oregon between the last few staffs uh, where they're not developing? I mean, the number one thing I point at is the head coaching turnover we've had over the last six years. I mean, I it's it's... And I mean, you can make your stepping stone you jokes or whatever, but people people take their quote-unquote dream job from Oregon, or they move on from Oregon, and they don't usually succeed. That's like just the the um, the history of how it's been. So yeah, the first thing I look at is the um, the head coaching turnover, and then kind of just like the fact that overall the Pac-12 hasn't been very competitive. I think it, when we look at it, nobody outside of the SEC and the Big Ten over the last six years has really, I mean, a team will make the playoff, but then they're pretty uncompetitive. So I think it's probably a larger issue overall with kind of the, um, the talent spread in college football right now. I agree. That's fair. That is fair. Um, anyone else want to talk about the head coaches? I think it's also really funny on this list how Jed Fish is behind Justin yeah, Wilcox. Jed Fish not that it matters. Evil. Not that it matters for the Cascadia corner, but like <laughs> let's let's take this list with a, a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do love me some Jed Fish. It's a, it's definitely a good launching point for a discussion that like we just had. So it works. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, keeping the theme of coaching within the conference. Um, the staffs are for for our four schools. Sorry, for our four schools, um, have gone through a little bit of change this off season. Um, Wazoo lost both their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator this year. Uh, the Beavs lost their running backs coach and brought in former UW running back coach from a few years ago, and the he was just now the Boise State running back coach. Um, they, Benny, I. I know he was my coach forever. I still Bonapa? can't pronounce him. I Bonapa. Think I think that's um, how I've it. pronounced. I've heard it like several different ways, so I honestly have no idea who it is. Um, Oregon, you might be able to make the claim that they got hit hardest this offseason with coaching staff changes. They lost Adrian Clem, their offensive line coach, um, who was basically just brought in to um, recruit just essentially that um his on the field success um has been pretty lackluster no matter where he goes um they lost to dillingham probably the biggest blow um out of any of these four teams to asu um and then they lost their safety coach i don't even remember his name or know where he went um but UW brings back its entire staff uh zach did you feel like for these changes do you feel like that anything changes within the conference or within these four teams or like do you feel like any of these schools coaching staffs got significantly worse or better um i mean i think losing dilly obviously hurts oregon a lot i'm kind of interested to see what their new offensive coordinator does coming from a group of five in north texas and i actually am kind of excited north texas or was he utah or utsa 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 okay but but anyways um i'm excited to see what washington state can do with the new coordinator because i feel like their offense was really lackluster last year with what they had i mean i know that they didn't have the o-line to be able to do a lot of long plays and 
use Cam Ward the right way, but like they, they just did bubble screens, it seems like, every play. So I'm kind of curious to see what their offensive coordinator does with uh, Cam Ward. Yeah, I'm really excited about this Wazoo offensive coordinator. Um, I think he's going to be a, just a really good fit over there. Um, he has a really good quarterback with Cam Ward, um, and he made, a, what's his name, Austin Reed, one probably one of the most productive quarterbacks in all of FBS last year. Uh Western Kentucky had like a top 10 offense, maybe, I don't even remember the exact, probably maybe top 20. Um, I know they were very good last year on that side of the ball. And I think that uh, the, probably the like difference of talents between Wazoo and Western Kentucky is not that like different. So I feel like he should be able to recreate at least some of that success that he had there. Um, as far as our defensive coordinator it goes, um, it just sounds like it's I don't even have his name here. Uh, just like some dude who's F been around Schmetti. the block, Schmetti. been around the block a few times, and it's just like old school defensive style coaching. Um, but yeah, James, your school went through few significant changes are you happy with it are you sad about it i mean yeah it would have been cool for dilly to come back another year um but it just lined up perfectly i think arizona state saw what oregon state did with uh jonathan smith and you realize you know it's kind of a win-win if he ends up working out it's gonna take a lot more for him to leave his alma mater uh as far as the oc hire goes uh, I really like Stein. I think uh, that UTSA offense was electric this year. Uh, they were really good at throwing the ball down the field, so I'm kind of excited to see what they are able to do with this new wide receiver talent Oregon has coming in, along with another year of Bo Nix. Uh, and then Clem is kind of or Clem is kind of whatever for me. Uh, they'll find a replacement. Matt. Our Huskies did not lose a single coach. You happy about this? You sad about it? Um, offensively, I'm very happy about it. I do think that offense is DeBoer's baby, so I don't think that um, the offensive coordinator staying or leaving would have been a big deal either way. Like, It's obviously nice that you get to keep him because familiarity and connections with the players and all that probably helps out with recruiting a little bit because I know he had some connections to some of the guys that were considering transferring or leaving for the draft. Um, so that's good. Defensively, um... <laughs> <laughs> I love Washington's defense this year. I'm happy they brought it back. I think uh, I love our offensive staff. I love Ryan Grubb. I love Jamarcus Shepard. I love everyone mm -hmm. on the offensive staff. The defensive side of the program, you got to cut some of that. <laughs> you got to cut some of the dead weight I... at some point like safeties and corners like the whole secondary specifically i love the energy that brown and morel bring to the team i really do but like that secondary was very untraditionally bad yeah you could year. make mm -hmm. the argument that like they were just playing injured dudes all season like jordan perryman had a hip issue that was bothering him for most of the year um which just turned him turned him into barbecue chicken <laughs> um, but I just don't understand why, like, as a unit, you can be bad for all 13 games of the year and then get your job back. Yeah, I it just wasn't impressive. And I feel like Washington, you talk about their defense when you talk about their development and their team. Like, it was just such an offbeat this season, which, like, it's fun to watch 
good offensive football, but it's also really annoying to watch your secondary get burned for most of the season and have to win games with your offense. It's also so unusual for Washington to be like have a bad secondary because I mean, how many like former UW uh, guys are in the NFL from the oh, secondary? God, there's so many, exactly. There's so many, yeah. and so it just it like felt so four. weird that UW was so bad in the secondary last year. I'm Do you guys want to know something funny? It's up. This no. DB class that DeBoer and this group just brought in is definitely better than any DB class that like Jimmy Lake, who was very known for his DB development, ever brought in. Like just yeah, as a class as a whole, like he brought in like cool dudes. actual blue chips on there. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> like he brought in like he did bring in McDuffie. He did bring in Kyler and he did get like Byron Murphy. But like other than that, most of like the DBs that you are seeing like coming out of UW and making making it to the NFL were just like raw three star athletes and never like any of these blue chip guys. Um, Matt just mentioned it a few minutes ago, um, but I feel like Ryan Grubb saying no to Alabama um, and coming back and deciding to coach for UW was like massive, massive win for the program. Um, I felt like if we would have lost him, yeah, it's DeBoer's offense, but we lose a lot of the momentum and the progress we made with this offense going into 2023. Um, but like, it makes the 2023 run feel a lot more special knowing that our play caller from the previous year is coming back for another season. Yeah. I also think too, pivoting from UW, I think Oregon state losing their running backs coach is really interesting because that running back room has been like insane Mm -hmm. the past couple seasons. And even if the new running back coach is good, like how does the change of face mix up that room with like what three or four guys capable of running the ball at any given point. Like I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. I think it's a bode of confidence that Damian Martinez chose to stay even after, I don't know the name of the running back coach, but the fact that he chose to stay after uh, he left, I think is, or he chose to stay after the coach left uh, is very exciting for Oregon state. And I mean, I think Oregon state has just done such a good job over the past few years of building that culture where I think as long as Jonathan Smith is there, Jonathan Smith is there, uh, they'll bring it. They'll be able to bring in guys that are able to reproduce uh, what they've done. For sure. Agreed. Zach, do you have anything else to add as far as coaching staffs? Yeah. I mean, Honestly, I don't think Oregon State changing running backs coach does anything. Uh, Oregon State brought back every single running back from last year, and they're all insanely talented. But I don't like recruiting for Oregon State at running back has never been an issue, and the offense, especially now, kind of just sells itself to running backs. So uh, I don't know. Losing the running backs coach, I did not care at all because. Oregon State still has a fantastic O-line and they still have Jonathan Smith and so I'm not worried at all about it. All right. Uh probably all we have to say about the coaching staffs. Um in other conference news, reports have surfaced over the last few days that Commissioner Kliakov is looking to add SMU and SDSU to this conference. Um we know this isn't like necessarily pertained just to the four Cascadia schools um but since we are part of the pac-12 it like 
definitely For has now. some sort of an effect on us. Um, James, what are your what were your initial thoughts of adding these two schools? It feels like expansion for the sake of expansion. Um, I don't think really either one of these schools moved the needle. I would have much rather, if you're going to expand, uh, I would have much rather seen like a Fresno State or UNLV. Um, I don't know. I, it's just not very exciting for me. I think the Pac-10 could have survived a few years kind of just to settle out and see how the rest of this is going to play out. Um, and then really just what they're waiting for is to see if Washington and Oregon get an invite elsewhere. So, yeah, I mean, it's cool that they're kind of, you know, we're going to get to see some potentially some new teams in the Pac-12, but it doesn't move the needle that much for me. I would have loved to see George be a lot more aggressive about going after teams. Uh, My dream, and a lot of people know this, is adding Nebraska to the Pac-12 just because their rivalry with Colorado, it just makes sense adding them in and they're like close enough to the West Coast and like Nebraska already tries to recruit in California. So like they it just makes sense to add them. They have money like it's they're the perfect school. And then like you probably want to go more than two teams at this point adding mm-hmm. uh, just because with all these mega conferences like spreading out with the SEC and the big 10 like you're gonna want to see a lot more teams in the pac 12 i feel like just as a pac 12 fan so like yeah sdsu kind of makes sense the san diego market tapping into that um especially since there's no like big la schools left for us to get to um unlv makes a lot of sense with the conference trying to move headquarters down to vegas and then maybe trying to poach like a kansas or kansas state or like any of the other Texas schools like Baylor, TCU, like any of them, it would just like make a lot more sense than a team like SMU or just SDSU to the conference. Yeah. Matt, do you have anything else? Um, I want to revisit the Nebraska statement you made because I am in the middle of like GBR country and I don't know if I could handle that fan base um, on a regular basis, but They are extremely loyal. They might not know a thing about football, but they're extremely loyal. And don't they they travel? travel. They They travel insanely well. It doesn't matter where their games are. It would honestly be super fun. And like probably won't happen, but I kind of I second I second your dream. I kinda like it. Um but as for SDSU and SMU, like it makes sense out of the teams that want to jump up to power five. I think SMU has a lot of hidden money that people don't really talk about. Um, their their donors are pretty. Generous. Don't they spend more money on football than like Cal does as an entire athletic I'm, department? Like I read that somewhere. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't I can't sense. verify it at this moment, but it would be <laughs> very funny if true. Yeah, I I wouldn't doubt it because I mean SMU's been pretty good the past few seasons, and they like they have money. SDSU is the one that like is kind of a no brainer if you're looking for G five teams to include. I feel like in every conversation you have about expansion, they come up. Um, San Diego market's good. I think, though, we should just get rid of this idea and add Portland State and Eastern Washington. <laughs> make the corner yes. six teams. Let's move this needle. Get into the Portland market. Let's get this rolling, man. Like let's Eastern can join the conference if they get rid of the red field. It is <laughs> like it is horrible. Like I don't know if you guys have ever seen it in person, oh, but I, like it's yeah. an eyesore. It sucks. <laughs> it hurts. It absolutely sucks. Like, there's no reason to it. The blue field, like, up close, like, it, like, kind of, it's cool, and it makes sense. 
But Easterns, no. No, it's ugly. It's hard to watch. Uh, Zach, do you have anything else to add about possible realignment? Yeah, I uh, I like adding SMU compared to like a Boise State because everyone wants like to add like Boise State, and I hate that. Who cares about the Idaho market? And I hate Boise State as a whole, so I don't want them in here. SMU's cool because they're in Dallas, and it kind of makes sense. I remember a while ago in the offseason they were talking about poaching like Baylor and. And Texas Tech, and I actually think SMU makes more sense than a Baylor or Texas Tech, because, I mean, who wants to go to Lubbock, and who wants to go to Waco? Uh, <laughs> adding a team that's in Dallas makes a lot of sense, and like you guys said, uh, SMU has a lot of money, so it'll be cool. And I know teams, um, like Oregon State does a decent job recruiting in Texas, so it'll be cool to like play there, and maybe they can expand upon that. Like Damien Martinez is from Texas, and a couple of the other guys on the team are from there, so that'd be cool. SDSU kind of makes sense as a whole, because they're in Southern California, and if you added Fresno State, that'd be another like Northern California team that's pretty close to the Bay, which you already have. So it wouldn't really make much sense to add Fresno State, but yeah, okay, I would like what to if, see UNLV. What if the plan? is to stay at 10 teams, no matter what. Even that's, adding these teams. That's what I want. Do you I know what that means? It means you gotta kick two people out. Yeah, you Like, see I'm talking USB. about, like, so the 10 that we have, like, the Pac-10 that we currently have without USC and UCLA, mm-hmm. it sounds like, it doesn't sound like, but, like, what if they want to add two teams, but then also kick two teams out? Stanford and Cal. Oregon State, Washington State, and we're going to the big sky, baby. Bingo. Yeah, no, I <laughs> think those schools, sky. I think those programs would do a lot better off, like, yeah. just as an athletic department if they moved out to the G5. 100%. That is a foolish well, statement. Like, what? Like, yeah, the Pac-12 money is nice and cool, but we also don't know what that's going to look like until the new media deal comes out. But, like, as an Oregon State fan, Zach, would you be a lot happier if your team was, like, 10 and 2, 11 and 1 every year competing for the conference championship or like hoping that like you pop off like you did last year and get a 10 win season randomly in the Pac-12. And Jonathan Smith we trust. I'm not going to the big sky. Uh, I've lived my whole life being a mediocre program and I've accepted mediocrity to an extent. Pac-12 all the way. I hate losing. Like, absolutely hate losing. So the, like, idea of my team just, like, constantly being me- mediocre. Do we would rather win in the big sky than lose in the pack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd rather watch my team, like, kick ass and then, like, back their way into a New Year's Six Bowl. Just from, like, a cheap high level. <laughs> and, like, be a super fraudulent team. But, like... <laughs> Eight and four, seven and five in the Pac-12 every year, which I think like a lot of Kook fans would honestly agree with it. Like because most Kook fans that you meet probably can't name like all the teams in the Pac-10 conference, and like <laughs> they like Kook. all they want to do is get drunk at football games and win. Jonathan their games. Smith in the Mountain West would be so chills. It oh my so god, electric. it would be generational. <laughs> god. Same with Jake Dickert, honestly, unless it's Fresno State, then. 
I mean, if Oregon State went to the Big Sky, Jonathan Smith is gone. He's going to go get more money. <laughs> He's like, somewhere I'm else. out so, of here. Get well, me out. they wouldn't be able to pay him. I mean, <laughs> so. um, but yeah, just to kind of wrap up the conference realignment conversation, I think the big thing for the Pac 12 overall is preferably come out ahead of the Big 12 and the ACC. I think they still have bigger brands, even though Stanford and Cal don't really care about athletics, Oregon and Washington. I think. I would say are bigger brands than anything the Big 12 has competing with the ACC. So the big thing is even if you're going to go to 12 or you're going to stay at 10, um, get that media deal right, even if that means it's on Amazon or Apple TV. Uh, that's James, my big takeaway. as an Oregon fan, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay invited the... to the Big 10? <laughs> do you want Honestly. UW going with you? I will take UW with us. Yeah. You'll take UW with you. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you as an Oregon fan. Do you want to yeah. be in the same conference as UW? Yeah. I think this rivalry is like honestly one of the most underrated ones in college football. I think Matt and I would also agree. Yeah, um, I'm going to speak for him for a second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, like Oregon and UW, they need to be in the same conference together. Yeah. And if one leaves, the other has to go with them. Um, Especially with both of these com- or both of these teams becoming competitive again. I feel like it's been so long. I mean, outside of like 2017, 2018, it's been so long since both of these teams were competitive that the rivalry is really going to get good over the next five years. Yeah, going to be a lot of fun games in the near future. Yeah. A lot of heartbreaks, I feel like, for you. Maybe both of us. Maybe. We'll see you in Seattle this year. <laughs> All right. That is going to do it for our second episode here at Cascadia Corner. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at Cascadia underscore corner. Uh, just a reminder, we're going to release episodes about every two weeks. Uh, this week, we are going to release it before the Super Bowl. Um, that way, we are not competing with the other boomers that are releasing their podcast on Sunday morning. Um, but other than that, we'll see you in a few weeks. Adios. Quack. <laughs>